attempt to run away was interrupted by the Lord, who sent a great storm to cause chaos on his, fl- on his flight and ultimately resulted in his decision to be thrown overboard by the sailors who were there on that boat with him. Now, those sailors did not initially agree to throw him overboard. They hesitated. They tried to row back to land. They tried to dissuade him from that decision, but Jonah insisted. And eventually those sailors acquiesced. And according to verse 15 of Jonah chapter 1, they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And what's so very fascinating to me is that the story could have ended there with Jonah being thrown overboard, the sea stilling, and those sailors worshiping God. And it would have concluded with an applicable applicable message for all of us. It could have concluded right there in verse 16 of Jonah chapter 1 with a message for us to not be like Jonah. A message to not run from the Lord. A message telling us not to be disobedient to the Lord's instructions. A message that is communicating to us not to avoid God's mission. And it would have been a good, biblical, pertinent message for us. But the story of Jonah doesn't end in verse 16 of chapter 1. It continues in verse 17, and we're told this in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 17, that the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, I don't think Jonah knew the fish was there. I don't think Jonah knew that if he got thrown overboard, God had something waiting for him. I think in Jonah's mind, when he got thrown overboard, he was going to his death. Jonah, I don't think, knew God was giving him a second chance. And there inside the belly of that fish, Jonah is going to come to some realizations that he didn't have when he was on board that boat. In particular, Jonah is going to finally talk to God. You see, while he was on the ship, while he was there amidst the sailors who were praying to their little g-gods, not once are we told that Jonah communicated with his, but after being in that fish, after being digested, he came to the point where he needed to talk to God. And the whole of Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer to the Lord. And what I want us to do right now is read that prayer, verses 2 through 9 of Jonah chapter 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up on me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, the question that comes to me when I encounter this chapter is, why do we have Jonah's prayer preserved? Why is Jonah's prayer preserved for us to read? And I think the answer to that might be the answer to every prayer we come across in the Bible. And that's because prayers have an ability to instruct. I like the way one preacher put it. One preacher said that prayers can preach. And deep down we know this because we know some people who will stand up here and preach to us while they pray. You know what I'm talking about? You, ever have, you remember one of those occasions where someone came up to, to pray for the sick, and, and in their process of praying for the sick, they're giving us announcements about the sick. They're not only telling us who they are and what their illness is, but they're telling us their room number at the hospital. You, have you ever heard one of those prayers? Or have you ever heard one of those prayers where someone gets up here and starts quoting Scripture to God as if God doesn't know what he said? And I'm not here picking on you men who have done that because I know what you're doing. When men get up here and, and give us those details about an individual's uh, illness, they're not telling it to God because God doesn't know where that individual is. They're telling it to us to spurn us to action. And when they quote Scripture in their prayers, they're telling it to us for it to reside in our hearts, to remind us of what God said. Because those prayers can teach. Those prayers can preach. Sometimes a prayer can educate and inform and enlighten as much as, if not more than, a song or a sermon or a Bible class. Prayers have that ability. And Jonah's prayer does just that if you take the time to look at it. You see, Jonah's prayer teaches us a couple of important things about prayer in particular. First, it teaches us the purpose of prayer. Jonah's prayer teaches us the purpose of prayer when you really spend time looking at it. I want you to notice a couple of things that Jonah acknowledged in the midst of his prayer. He acknowledged his own helplessness in this prayer. Look at verse 2. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, I've mentioned already that while he was on that boat, Jonah was asked by the captain of the boat to pray to his God, just as the other sailors were praying to their deities. But we have no record of Jonah speaking to the Lord while he was on the boat. But when Jonah was drowning in the sea, when Jonah's life was slipping away, when Jonah was indeed helpless, he cried out to God. It's interesting to me because throughout this very short book, there are three times that people will pray. Jonah is one of those times. And in his prayer, 
he specifically acknowledged that God listened to and answered his prayer. And it's easy to look at Jonah's prayer here in Jonah chapter 2 and, and say, oh, it's just a lament. There is some lament in his prayer, but it's not just lament. Because there is thankfulness in his prayer. In fact, he will reference his own personal thankfulness to the Lord in verse 9. This is a prayer in which Jonah is lamenting his condition, but he's also acknowledging God's salvation. It's a prayer of worship as much as it is a prayer of lament. Because Jonah understands that, that the purpose of prayer at times is to praise God. And so in this prayer, he's praising God for saving him. But not only does Jonah acknowledge his helplessness, in this prayer, Jonah also acknowledges God's sovereignty. If you look at verse 3 of Jonah 2, Jonah says, You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now we know that, technically speaking, the sailors threw Jonah overboard. But here, Jonah is acknowledging that his entrance into the waters were divinely orchestrated. That the waves are obeying the orders of their master. You cast me, your waves and your billows. He's giving credit to God for orchestrating these events and to God for being the one who's in control of creation. And notice what Jonah said toward the end of his prayer in verse 8. He said, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now, at first glance, it seems that statement is kind of out of place with the rest of the prayer. But I think Jonah was in this statement acknowledging the singularity of God, the fact that God alone is God. He just exited a boat where there were tons of deities. There were many gods being spoken to. But in this prayer, as he speaks about God casting him and God's waves and God's billows, and then he makes mention of vain idols, what he's communicating is that Yahweh alone is God. There's one God. There's one single sovereign entity that reigns supreme. So Jonah acknowledges his helplessness. He acknowledges God's sovereignty. And all that culminates in his surrender. This prayer is Jonah's way of surrendering himself to God. Look at verse 9 with me. There he says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's after those words. Of course, I don't know the time frame. 
But it's after those words that we're told in verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah's exit from the fish didn't come until Jonah had surrendered to God. Until Jonah had acknowledged his helplessness, acknowledged God's sovereignty, and in the process surrendered to the will of the Lord. It's as if something about Jonah's prayer, and in particular those last words, brought about God's response. Because the next thing you know, God's instructing Jonah to go to Nineveh again. But this time, you can see the surrender. You can see the obedience. Because this time, you can look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 3 where it says that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. I believe that when Jonah said, what I have vowed, I will pay, he was stating his intent to obey God's command this time, even if he still disagreed with it. You see, there's no greater realization for our prayer lives than the fact that God is sovereign and we are helpless. The purposes of our prayers are to put God in his proper context and to put ourselves in our proper context. Prayer is all about recognizing who's in charge, who's in control, and who's not. Jonah does that in this prayer, and in so doing, he teaches us something about the purpose of prayer. And his actions afterward demonstrate his understanding of that purpose. But that's not the only thing Jonah's prayer teaches us. It does teach us about the purpose of prayer, but I believe Jonah's prayer also provides us with a process for prayer. Now you may, you may never be inside of a fish, literally speaking, but I'm certain we've all had our own in the belly of the fish moments our own experiences of being in that place where you feel so far removed from the Lord and your circumstances have become so difficult that you're not quite sure how to talk to God. Maybe your in-the-belly-of-the-fish moment came when your finances crumbled and you lost your job. Maybe your in-the-belly-of-the-fish moment came when your heart was broken by somebody you love and your trust was taken away. Maybe your in-the-belly-of-the-fish moment came when some addiction overtook your life and you could not escape it. Maybe your belly-of-the-fish moment came when you received that diagnosis or when you had to accept the loss of a loved one, or when you had to face up to a sin that came with present-day consequences. I'm certain that all of us either have or will have a belly-of-the-fish moment. How do you talk to God when you're in the belly of the fish? See, I think Jonah teaches us some things about that process. 
And so the next time you find yourself in the belly of the fish, I want you to remember Jonah's prayer because Jonah's prayer provides a practical blueprint for how one of God's people should respond to disparaging circumstances. First off, I want you to notice this, that Jonah's prayer reminds us to pray whenever and wherever. Prayer does not necessitate a sacred space or a sacred time. Prayer can happen anytime and anywhere. In Jonah's case, it was literally in the belly of a fish. Now, I don't think of the belly of a fish being that special of a location for prayer. I don't find it to even be a comfortable location for prayer. But that's the point. You don't have to be in a specific place or in a specific state of mind or in a specific condition to pray. Prayer is always available. That's the beauty of our Lord. He can always hear your prayers. Our God is always available for you to communicate with him. It doesn't matter where you are, he listens. I mentioned a moment ago that three times in this book we have prayers. The first is in chapter 1 when the sailors pray. The second is here when Jonah prays. The third is in chapter 3 when the Ninevites will pray. We have pagan sailors, a disobedient prophet, and a sinful city. And apparently, every one of their prayers is heard. There's no getting so far away from God that he can't hear your prayers. Jonah's in the depths of the sea inside of a fish, and yet his prayers are still reaching God. So when you're in the belly of your fish moment, when you're in the deepest, darkest days of your life, when you're in the horrible place that tragedy strikes, know that your God is there with you, and your God can still hear you. When we consider this process of prayer, that might be the most important lesson. As one preacher said, prayer doesn't work because you're good. Prayer works because God is good. We need to remember that our God is there no matter where we are. But we also need to look to Jonah's prayer to be reminded that memorizing sacred words is beneficial. You may not realize this, but the original readers of the book of Jonah probably did. And that is that Jonah's prayer is based largely on the book of Psalms. Almost every line of this prayer is either a quote or a reference from the book of Psalms. Let me run down a list of examples for you. You can start in Jonah chapter 2 and verse 2 when Jonah said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. And there's a connection to Psalm chapter 120 and verse 1 where we have this similar statement. In my distress, I called out to the Lord and he answered me. 
In verse 3, the last half of verse 3 says, All your waves and your billows passed over me. And this text seems to be pulling from Psalm chapter 42 and verse 7. At the end of that verse says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. In verse 4, the first part of verse 4 says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. A similar statement appears in Psalm chapter 31 and verse 22, which says, I have said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. In the first half of verse 7, Jonah said, When my life was fainting away. And Psalm chapter 142 and verse 3 says, When my spirit faints within me. The second half of verse 7 says, And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Compare that with Psalm chapter 18 and verse 6, where David said, From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. In verse 8, the phrase, Those who pay regard to vain idols is used. And it appears to have come from Psalm chapter 31 and verse 6, where a nearly identical phrase appears, those who pay regard to worthless idols. In verse 9, the first part of verse 9 says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. It sounds like a reference to Psalm chapter 116, verse 17 and 18, which says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And finally, that very last statement in the prayer Salvation belongs to the Lord is a word-for-word quote from Psalm chapter 3 and verse 8. At the very least, this suggests that Jonah was familiar with the Psalms. But I think it may suggest something bigger. Maybe Jonah's at a point in his life where he doesn't have the words. You ever been there? Have you ever sat down to pray and everything in your life is so chaotic or so upsetting that you don't even know what to say? You know what Jonah's strategy is? Jonah's strategy was to use some sacred words. To use words that he had learned from God's word. God's Word is beautiful because it's not just there to give us instruction. It's there to give us help. Sometimes when you don't know the words to pray, maybe you can go to the book of Psalms where you can see the full gamut of emotions that exist and find the words to pray from someone who is inspired before you. You know, I think this was a strategy Jesus employed. When Jesus faced off with temptation, what did he do? He recalled the words of the Old Testament. During that wilderness temptation, he combated each temptation by quoting a memorized passage of Scripture. So when he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And when he said, do not put the Lord your God to the test, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. And when he said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. In moments when you don't know what to pray or what to say, I suggest that you follow Jonah's example and use the sacred words of Scripture because these words stand the test of time. They are as relevant today as they were when they were penned 2,000 plus years ago.
See, it appears to me that Jesus took to heart the words of the psalmist who said this in Psalm 119 and verse 11, as well as Jesus and Jonah took to heart these words. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you storing up sacred words? Not only to protect yourself in the face of temptation, but so that you might have the words when those times come that you don't. One preacher said, when you lift up sacred words, you will find that sacred words start to lift you up. So I encourage you to store up some sacred words. And one last thing about the process we can gain from Jonah's prayer. Jonah's prayer recommends recalling God's goodness. Faith is always reinforced by memory. Jonah prayed in chapter 2 and verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Sometimes in our deepest, darkest moments, the best thing we can do is recall just how good God has been to us. In our moments where we're struggling and we need to communicate with the Lord, sometimes the greatest help we can find is recalling in, in, in conversation with Him all that He's done for us. Because when you start to reflect on how good God has been to you, it reminds you that no matter what you're going through right now, He can make good come from it. When you do this, it'll make you realize that what you've experienced in your life has not always been what you expected it would be has not always been what you wanted it to be, has not always been what you deserved, or even maybe what God intended. But when you reflect on how good God has been, it will help you see that no matter what, God has always given you what you needed. And that's essentially what Jonah is saying about his experience. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't intend to be thrown overboard. He certainly didn't expect God to rescue him. So as he reflects back on these experiences, no matter how frustrating or heartbreaking or scary they might have been, Jonah can do nothing but praise God because God has been good to him. And the point is that God's goodness needs to be constantly and intentionally remembered. Isn't that why he gave the Israelites the Passover? A feast to remember how good he had been to them? Isn't that why he gave us the Lord's Supper? A weekly memorial to remember how good he's been to us? As one preacher said, it is good for us to remember how good God has been to save us. We need to remember to remember. 
We need to recall those times God has been good to us when we are in those belly of the fish moments when the words don't want to come. Just think back to all the good God has done in your life. You see, Jonah prayed when he was desperate. Jonah prayed when he was distant. Jonah prayed when he was disobedient. But none of that stopped God from hearing his prayer. And I want you to notice there, there is a verse in the book of Jonah that can be easily overlooked. It's the verse that follows this great prayer. The verse that leads off the third chapter. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Jonah got a do-over. Jonah got a second chance. But I don't think that second chance would have been his if he hadn't uttered these words in the belly of the fish. If he hadn't surrendered in the belly of the fish. If he hadn't acknowledged God's sovereignty and his own helplessness. If he hadn't remembered those sacred words, if he hadn't taken the time to communicate with the Lord, I don't know that this do-over would have been available. But that verse reminds us of an important truth about our Lord, a truth conveyed in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, that even when we are faithless, he is still faithful. Our God is a good God. Our God is a good God who wants to hear from us. As we examine this episode in the life of Jonah, in the book of Jonah, about prayer, let me ask you, how is your prayer life? When was the last time you as an individual, not as a part of this body, but you as an individual, deeply and intimately conversed with your Lord. Has life thrown you some curveballs that have caused you just to keep God at a distance? To decide that you don't need to talk to Him anymore? To decide that it's not worth it? Have you suffered some losses and some pain in life that has caused you to say, God doesn't hear me. He won't listen to me. If anybody deserved not to be listened to, it was Jonah. But Jonah was heard, and Jonah was given that do-over. Maybe tonight you need a do-over. That opportunity is available. Tonight we're here because the Lord invites you to come. The Lord invites you to become his child. The Lord invites you to return home. The Lord invites you to communicate with him. The Lord invites you to have whatever need exists addressed tonight. So won't you come while together we stand and sing?